Welcome to Getting Legal With It, a podcast for Colorado young lawyers by Colorado young lawyers. I'm your host, Kevin Cheney. For those listening to us for the first time, I'm a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer here in Colorado. I graduated from the University of Colorado Law School in 2014 and founded my practice, Cheney, Galuzzi & Howard, LLC, a short time later. I'm a member of the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association, where I serve on its board, executive committee, and legislative committees. I also serve on the Colorado Bar Association's Board of Governors, the CBA Executive Committee, and the CBA Young Lawyers Division's Executive Council. Finally, I'm also a member of the Colorado Criminal Defense Bar Association. If you are interested in learning more about any of these wonderful organizations, please feel free to shoot me an email at kevin at cghlawfirm.com. This podcast is created and sponsored by the Colorado Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you bi-weekly episodes with information that is both fun and informative for young lawyers. We have some awesome guests lined up and we are just getting started. If you like our podcast, please, please, please leave us a review and tell your colleagues. And with that, let's jump right in. Uh, it's my pleasure to uh, introduce our uh, guest today, uh, Dan St. John. Uh, Dan's practice focuses on general civil litigation, common interest community law, landlord-tenant law, real estate law, general business law, and civil appeals. His philosophy is to give clients practical advice based on thorough understanding of the client's situation and goals. Based on that knowledge, he helps clients understand their options so they can make the best decision to achieve their goals. Dan brings his experience and passion to advising people and businesses with real estate issues and to representing clients in civil disputes. Dan is licensed to practice law in Colorado and Wyoming. Community involvement is important to Dan. He is a member of the Rotary Club of Fort Collins Breakfast and on the Executive Council of the Colorado Bar Association Young Lawyers Division. Dan was the president of the Larimer County Bar Association Young Lawyers Division and a member of the Executive Committee of the LCBA from 2016 to 2018. He is an active volunteer with all of these organizations. Dan is also a member of the Law Club of Denver, an organization dedicated to teaching legal ethics. And finally, Dan serves as a commissioner on the 8th Judicial District Judicial Performance Commission, and in that capacity, reviews local judges and makes retention recommendations when they stand for retention. Dan earned his law degree in 2013 from the University of Denver Sturm College of Law. During law school, Dan was the online editor-in-chief for the Denver Journal of International Law and Policy, the Tenth Circuit Survey Editor for the Denver University Law Review, founded the Space Law Society, and was the captain of the school's Manfred Locke Space Law Moot Court team. That's great. We're definitely talking about that later, Dan. While a student, Dan published papers on international space law and federal Indian law. Dan graduated from the University of Southern California with a BA in economics and international relations in 2008. At USC, Dan played trombone in the spirit of Troy, USC's universally renowned marching band. Prior to joining his current firm, which is Johnson, Muffley, and Doster, PC, in 2017, Dan was an attorney at a Fort Collins law firm where he handled a wide array of business, civil litigation, appeals, and adoption matters. Dan started his legal career as a law clerk for the Honorable Stephen E. Howard of the Larimer County District Court. And when not practicing law, Dan enjoys astronomy, the mountains, disc golf, and learning to fly fish. As a native of Lake Tahoe, Nevada, Dan is an avid skier who eagerly awaits the first flakes of snow each year winter. Dan, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. 
And I'm happy that um, we can be in separate places so I don't cough all over. I know. If anything that the pandemic has, uh, you know, been good, it's it's the ability to get stuff done even when you can't be in person together. Ain't that the truth. If you, uh, <laughs> listeners, if you can't tell by the slight difference in sound uh, for some, certain episodes, uh, we are not shooting this one in person so that everybody stays nice and healthy. Um. Dan, so I know we covered a little bit of this in your bio, but I kind of like to start each episode the same way. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, where you're from, kind of where you went to undergrad, and we'll kind of go from there. Sure, sounds good. So I grew up um, on a little in a little town on the north shore of Lake Tahoe in Nevada, which um, now that I'm an adult is a charming place to live. But as a kid, I was ready for something bigger than my <laughs> 5,000 person town with, with 80 classmates who I've known since kindergarten. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I grew up in Wyoming. I can, I can, I can feel that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, small staters have that, uh, have that in common. So I uh, decided to go to the university of Southern California in Los Angeles for um, you know, a little change of pace. Yeah, slight um, change, slight change. Los Angeles at the time was like three times the, the population of the entire state of Nevada. So <laughs> it was um, it was a great experience, a great awakening, a great you know place to meet new people, to meet a lot of different people, to you know live in the big city. Right. I I uh, <laughs> I was in the marching band in in college, and and I was there when USC was winning national championships left and right. Oh, wow. That must have been super fun. Yeah. I didn't appreciate it. Uh, the, the first loss that I experienced as a you know member of that, of, of, of that program was my sophomore year when USC played Texas in the Rose Bowl. Oh, Vin- Vince Young, right? That was the Vince Young year? Yeah. Yep. Where the refs missed his knee. <laughs> We're not still. Well, no, no, of course not. Of course not. You've moved on. <laughs> I can tell. So it was a charmed life. I mean, you know, getting to March three rose parades is is a pretty singular experience. It's not something you necessarily want to repeat because it's, you know, New Year's Eve and you're in college. So <laughs> right. Fill in that blank. And then. Right. Right. I hear you. Roll out of bed at four in the morning on the first to get on a bus to march at six or seven mile parade and then yeah fun you know, do a football game <laughs> yep now when you went to usc uh did you know that law school was in your future i mean uh w- was that always kind of the plan or was that something that kind of developed uh on along the way if you will yeah good question so i was uh, i participated in a program called we the people the citizen and the constitution um, in high school. And that's a, uh, a really intense civics education class um, that, that some schools bring in to their, you know, their senior year curriculum for civics. And it's put on through the Center for Civic Education. Mm. And so I participated in that as a junior and then came back as a senior in high school and helped coach and the way it works is you get you're, you're put into a unit. My unit was the, you know, the federal courts and kind of how that all is arranged. Okay. And you're assigned a, a pretty complicated question uh, for high school. And you're basically said, 
go research this, come up with an answer and, you know, make a, you know, 10 minute speech um, split among three people and then be prepared to answer questions for 10. Sure. And uh, it was kind of is designed as a mock congressional uh, uh, hearing. And so I am so fortunate to have been in that class with um, Milton Hyams, who was the, who's the teacher and a real just passionate educator and great civics educator. And um, he was also a very good coach. And my class, uh, you know, we competed for our congressional district, won our congressional district competed for the state of Nevada, won the state, and then went to the national competition in DC. And out there, you know, it was really intense. We're a bunch of high school nerds <laughs> going to the Smithsonian and the Supreme Court, and, um, getting tours from our representatives of Congress. And um, let's see. So the first year I was there, uh, Mr. Himes, organized a meeting with Norman Mineta, who was the Secretary of Transportation at the time. And we go into the transportation build, the, the Department of Transportation building, and we're sitting at this conference room table with Norman Mineta, who's a, a civil rights leader, a former congressman from San Jose area, and now the Secretary of Transportation. And we're just like a bunch of high school kids from, you know, small town Nevada. And he's telling us about how he made the call to ground all the planes on September 11th. <laughs> and it was a singular experience. <laughs> and then the next year when I was there as a coach, we actually got to meet with Justice Kennedy at the Supreme Court. He um, gave, came in and talked to us and had my first uh, uh, experience of telling a judge an answer that the judge didn't like, where I think Justice Kennedy asked how many amendments to the Constitution there were. And I said, 28, which is not the right answer. <laughs> so, you know, to my eternal shame, I, <laughs> I gave Justice Kennedy the wrong answer to that. Oh, that's tough. So that really, that experience, that's a really long-winded answer. But it basically said, you know, I kind of like this law thing. It's fun to, you know, think about difficult concepts that don't really have answers, you know, not the same way that a math problem has an answer and then craft you know, a, a logical argument to support your position. So then I went to college and did economics and didn't think about law school again <laughs> until it was time to go into the real world. And, and then I, I thought I wanted a career where I could use my brain, where I'd be forced to learn new things over and over. Right, right. Um, and, and, you know, be challenged. And, you know, we had some good friends who were lawyers and they encouraged me to go to law school. And then obviously uh, from your bio, I know you went to DU. Um, before we jump into our kind of main topics, I got to ask you about space law and kind of what what is going on with space law? How did you get involved into uh, to it? Uh, apparently there is a moot court competition all about space law. Uh, yes. So so give us the, the, the gist of what space law is and, and, and how you got to be involved in it. So I really, really like Star Trek. Okay. But that's the answer. Um, I like Star Trek and I like law. And so, you know, I don't know how I came across this, but no, that's not true. I did a study abroad in Vienna, Austria in college. And Vienna is one of the four headquarters of the UN. 
and that's where the Office for Outer Space Affairs is located. Okay, so I, okay. I learned about that there. And then getting to DU, uh, DU is very generous with allowing students to pursue their interests. And so I started this student organization and brought in speakers to kind of explain what space law is, and then learned about the, the Manfred Locke Space Law Moot Court Competition, which is, there are three international law moot court competitions. There's Jessup, which is public international law. Yep, yep, I heard that one. That's the big one. Then there's VIS, which is uh, a commercial arbitration, international commercial arbitration. And then there's LOCKS, which is much smaller uh, for space law, but they have um, competitions. There's a North American, a European, an Asian, and an African section. And you know, at the end of uh, the whole competition, you actually get to go to the International Court of Justice. Oh, that's cool. That's are really you cool. in front of you know judges on the International Court of Justice? What are what are some of the topics? I guess that like. Is it about like who owns what in space or like, you know, who, how do we regulate space or can we shoot, you know, missiles and <laughs> weapon systems? Like what, what are some of the space law, I yeah. guess, topics? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's, there's, um, oh, five or six international treaties from the late sixties to early seventies. The main ones, the, the outer space treaty of 1968. And it basically, uh, governs free access to outer space. So anybody who can up, get up there can use it for, for, you know, whatever, well, not whatever purposes, but use it for purposes for the betterment of humanity. There are prohibitions on, you know, bringing uh, weapons of mass destruction up there. There's a lot of, you know, who owns what in terms of celestial bodies. And the answer is, Nobody owns celestial objects like the moon or asteroids. Mm. There's a lot of really interesting minutia about registering your space objects. So, you know, <laughs> it was pretty straightforward in the 60s when it was just the U.S. and the Soviet Union launching up rockets. But I suspect it's gotten a lot more interesting now that you've got, you know, a French company launching a, you know, a, a German satellite from some other place. And Interesting. There's lots of tracking stuff. Well, that's fascinating. I'm glad that that was in your bio so that we could have that little segue. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I, I want to kind of uh, hit on some of the you know main topics that we wanted to discuss today. Sure. Um, let's start with something that I know that you are passionate about uh, as an attorney. Uh, who, as we heard, uh, you know, you live up in Fort Collins and uh, in the greater Colorado area. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the greater Colorado task force. Um, yes. Let's start at the beginning. What is the greater Colorado task force and kind of what is its mission or goal? Sure. So um, our former CBA president, uh, Catherine um, Hearn Croshaw, had this wonderful idea to try to reduce the barriers for for members of the CBA who live outside of the Denver metro area to participate in CBA activities. And um, Kathleen was a uh, she's from Pueblo, so she knows this this uh, issue pretty well. And so she convened a group of nine or 10 people um, and asked them to 
come up with a mission. And, and our, our leader was Ian uh, McCarger out of Windsor, who's just a wonderful attorney, a, a wonderful person, and a great leader. And I, I think the success of this, this program um, is because Ian is just a champion. And then we had um, members from, uh, I want to shout out to all of them because they're all great. There's Danita Alderton from Pueblo, Melissa Decker from Mintern, uh, Courtney Holm from the Vale Valley, Paul Herkham from the Springs, uh, Tammy Sullivan from Alamosa, and Charlie Willman uh, from Glenwood Springs. And we all got together and our mission was to uh, explore the elimination of barriers to participation and engagement in CBA programs, leadership and communication for CBA members who practice outside the Denver metro area, thereby improving or mutually improving the value and relevance of CBA membership. That's our mission statement. So Ian had the great idea of um, hosting a meeting in different cities around the state each month. So our first meeting, uh, we went to Denver, got our you know marching orders from the CBA and from uh, Judge Kroeschel. And then we went to Pueblo um, and then the pandemic happened. So we did a lot of meetings Fun. on Zoom. <laughs> but we still were able to meet with people from, from greater Colorado. And I don't know if it's probably defined greater Colorado as um, basically anywhere that's not, um, you know, uh, Denver County, um, Arapahoe, uh, Jeffco and, and yeah. outside the kind of Denver metro, yeah. you know, area. What are what are some of the kind of unique issues impacting lawyers in in greater Colorado? Um, you know, and, and, and I think this is. Uh, I guess privilege would be the the right word, you know, as someone who lives in the Denver metro area, like I just assume that, you know, everything is fine. All the events are hosted in Denver. You know, if I want to go to a CLE, I drive five, 10 minutes, you know, maybe if it's bad traffic, it's 20. Um, you know, so for a lot of our listeners who maybe live in the Denver area and have not necessarily thought about this, what are some of the, the issues that are, are kind of impacting you guys in the greater Colorado area? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and it it really differs based on where people practice. And that's one of the things that surprised us. So it, we heard a lot from people on the um, Eastern Plains and in the San Luis Valley that they're just, there's a lawyer shortage. There's There are attorneys who've practiced there their whole careers and they're getting ready to retire and there's no new blood coming. And that's, a, I mean, if there aren't any lawyers, that doesn't serve their clients, that doesn't serve the community, and it doesn't serve, you know, access to justice. If somebody out in Bent County can't find a lawyer and has to get somebody from Pueblo, if they're lucky, or maybe Colorado Springs, that's, that's an expense that really puts a barrier on access to justice. There's also access to CLE, networking um that's that's kind of an issue in i mean in those places um as well a lot of the cba content is denver based and at least pre-pandemic in my opinion it wasn't pushed out to greater colorado in a way that encourages involvement. And that's actually a great, a, a great kind of a, a point. And, and I want to kind of pick your brain on this. Do you think, so, you know, I guess 
obviously the pandemic was terrible, but there have been some things that I think people have uh, that we've we've improved things because we had to during the pandemic. For example, the use of Zoom and video conferencing platforms to communicate with individuals has taken off, you know, a hundredfold from where it was before the pandemic. Um, do you think that that's something that's going to have kind of a tangible benefit for greater Colorado lawyers now that, you know, it's, it's not just the, the, uh, the rare occasion. It is now the expectation and the norm that pretty much every CLE, even if it is based in person will now be offered via zoom or some type of, you know, uh, communication platform. Oh yes. That is a boon for practitioners in greater Colorado. I remember calling into some meetings pre-pandemic and I was like on the phone and nobody could hear me or nobody was listening for me, but the pandemic is all, I mean, Zoom is a great platform for this and people have been forced to learn how to use it. And that was actually one of the Greater Colorado Task Force recommendations is to encourage, certainly for all CLEs, have a uh, an online component that is not neglected so you you know take questions from the online people but even more than that allow for participation in cba committees via remote access without any any penalty i mean i think previously it was sort of you were discouraged from calling into a committee meeting it may not have been an official discouragement but it was sort of a tacit discouragement but you know, if you practice in Mesa County and you have to drive over from Grand Junction to Denver, that's a full day. It's, a, it's also a, it's a huge ask, you know. Like it's, it's a, a huge, huge ask, you know. And like no wonder there are not as many people represented on on the committees as there probably should be, because you're like, look, yeah, for you, it's you know maybe an hour and twenty minutes out of your day. For me, I have to take an entire day off work, you know. Yeah. And if I don't want to do the drive twice, I have to get a hotel room in Denver. Right. Yeah. And so that, I mean, just the wear and tear on the car, the hotel. It's a lot. Yeah. But giving up a day of billing is also a big ask too. Right. Especially when, you know, practitioners in greater Colorado are more likely to be solos than than in the metro area. So it's a big ask. I mean, that gives more flexibility for sure. But What more, I guess, at this stage needs to be done? So just to kind of point out one of the things that you said, um, you know, kind of the Eastern Plains and in some of these communities, there's a real lawyer shortage. Um, and it sounds like there are clients out there. And so there are, you know, if someone wants to move out there, like it, it, it could make financial sense. You know, you may be one of the only games in town and uh, you know, be able to make a, a decent living out there. Um, what more needs to be done to kind of address some of these issues? So obviously Zoom and stuff has helped uh, some of the CLE and participation issues, but what more can we be doing and what more should we be doing? Yeah, I think that there just needs to be more awareness of of the lawyer shortage in some of the rural places and more support given to people who want to do that work. When I was in law school, I didn't even think about, you know, moving somewhere out of the Denver metro area. And yet I ended up in Fort Collins. But it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't occur to me that I could go to Gunnison or, or you know, Alamosa or something like that. So I think we need to get more people in the law schools letting lawyers know that 
this is an option. Oh, and we just had a presentation from Justice Hart at our board meeting last week about, I can't remember the name of that program. Uh, the entrepreneurial. Yes, man. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it and that's terrible. Justice Hart. Don't, don't hate me. Um, it's uh, a great program though. Entrepreneurial yeah. lawyers for justice or something like that, or that uh, sounds right. Sounds very close. Yeah. But it's a program that gives, I think some financial and a lot of professional support to people who want to go out and, you know, help underserved populations or, um, want to practice more justly. And I think that that's something that should be encouraged. We also, I mean, we were talking to uh, one of the judges in uh, the San Luis Valley, and there's kind of a, there's sort of a pipeline problem. I mean, if we can encourage more people in, in those parts of the state to be interested in law, maybe they'll come home after they graduate and be the hometown lawyer. I mean, there's definitely... Uh, advantages of being of practicing in a smaller um, smaller jurisdiction. I mean, Fort Collins isn't exactly small, but I've noticed that my local opposing counsel are perhaps a little more cordial than co or opposing counsel who come from Denver. Just knowing that you know I'm going to see this person again a lot, you know, yeah. another case in a month, and we just had a happy hour together and. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and it's also something that you think that, you know, the the career development offices at the law schools and uh, CUDU, probably University of Wyoming, um, could also, you know, help with because, uh, you know, a lot of people are looking for jobs when they graduate and, you know, and, and being able to tell them, now look, living in a small town is not for everyone, but it is for some people. And to be able to be like, look, you know, you can compete here and try to get a, you know, a job over here, or you can go somewhere where, you know, I guarantee you they need you, you yeah, know, exactly. and, you, and you can do a lot of different types of law, you know, the smaller the town, probably the more general, uh, you know, so if you don't want to just do exclusively criminal defense and you want to do a little, you know, criminal, a little trust in a state, little PI, you know, kind of a little bit of everything, uh, you can get that, you know, kind of living in a, a more rural, um, setting. Oh, for sure. Uh, um, I, I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk about uh, another group uh, that you are uh, involved in, uh, and that's the Eighth uh, Judicial District uh, Judicial Performance uh, Commission. Um, yeah. What I guess to start off, let's just start with the basics. What is the Judicial Performance Commission? Like, what do you guys do? So, um, Colorado uses the modified Missouri system for appointing judges, where interested candidates apply are vetted by a commission, a few names are sent up to the governor and the governor picks one of those people. And then um, by statute, these judges have to be reviewed by a judicial performance commission, uh, which is uh, made up of lawyers and non-lawyers, but it's a nonpartisan uh, majority non-lawyer group. And our job is basically to vet on the back end how a judge is doing um, on the bench. So each new um, trial court judge has to be reviewed after two years on the bench, and then they face a retention election where the public gets to decide if they meet or do not meet performance standards and whether they should be retained. And the, the commission's job is to do the legwork, do the investigation, into whether those judges actually meet performance standards. So 
we, I mean, all the attorneys will know this, that after you appear in front of a judge, you'll get an email from Kent Wagner at the Judicial Performance Office, um, and he'll ask you to fill out a survey about how your experience in front of the judge is, and nobody does that. <laughs> but let me tell you how important it is. Our job as commissioners is to, you know, vet these vet these judges, and we need data to vet the judges. So the more input we get from attorneys, the more we get input we get from litigants and jurors, the better the work product is and the better the review is. So it's kind of an interesting experience because, you know, normally in the courtroom, the judge is in control. And in these performance commissions, it's a little bit flipped because right. it's you. Now you're city. judging them. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone through two retention cycles so far. And it's been a really rewarding experience because at least in the 8th Judicial District, which is Larimer County and Jackson County, you get to see just how dedicated these judges are and how much they care about their job. Um, and I've been happy to note that if there's criticism or, or suggestions for improvement, they've all been open to it. And they've all been willing to certainly hear things out, explain how they do how they you know, run their criminal docket days in county court and why they do it one way and not the other. And it, for me, it's brought, you know, builds a little more faith in the judicial system than I'd had because you see just how dedicated these civil servants are. At the end of the day, the Judicial Performance Commission's job is to, you know, take a vote on whether the judge meets or does not meet performance standards and then write up a summary that goes into the blue book mm -hmm. that's sent out with the ballot. Um, now your average, you know, citizen won't have any experience with any of these judges. So it's the performance commission's job to kind of <laughs> give a summary of what the judge does, how they're doing and whether they should be retained or not. Um, so it's kind of an, I mean, it's an important job, I think. Um, because it's really the only way that the average citizen would know whether or not to to keep a right, judge or not. Right. And, and and the alternative I think is 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 bad. I mean the alternative is that we go to uh, just straight elections where you basically politicize the entire judicial process and you run as a you know a democrat or a republican and probably based on where you are that's going to determine whether you win. Um, and it also increases the uh, uh, amount of political pressure that judges are on, you know, like whether, you know, it happens in criminal world, I think probably more so, but even in the civil world, like how you rule becomes reflective of whether or not you get to keep your job. And so rather than ruling, you know, what the law says or what you feel is truly morally just or what you believe the evidence has shown, you're now ruling knowing that, you know, I'm going to have to get reelected and, you know, they want me to be tough on crime. So I have to be, or they want me to be, you know, not tough on crime. So I have to not be tough. You know, it, it really shapes it. So, and it sounds like it's really important. It sounds like the takeaway here is that all of us need to respond to those judicial <laughs> performance reviews more often and i am as guilty as anyone of you know responding to like one out of ten yeah. um so you know i will commit now publicly dan thanks to this cool. uh, podcast that i'm gonna get that number up to at least like three or four out of ten 
I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, that's you know. A, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's important because that's the only way really commissioners know how well a judge is doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I get it. I mean, cause you guys can't like spend, you know, you can't just sit in court all day. Like you have jobs and stuff. It's a volunteer position. Like yeah. you gotta, uh, you know, get the data from, from the people that are there. So that makes a lot of sense. And I'll say you're the, the first person I think on one of those commissions that we've had on here. So, um, that was oh. a really interesting, uh, uh, topic and something I didn't know a lot about. So, uh, thanks yeah, for that. Let's, uh, let's shift gears here, uh, to a, a topic I am a little bit more familiar about, but I think is important for, uh, our young lawyers and law student listeners and talk a little bit about, uh, the Colorado Bar Association Young Lawyers Division or CBA YLD for short, um, when did you, uh, I guess, decide to to get involved with the YLD and why? Yeah, that's a good question. So my first involvement with the YLD was actually my local bar young lawyers outfit. Okay. The Larimer County Bar Association YLD. Okay. Yeah, the Larimer County uh, YLD. Um, I, and I, let's see, I moved up to Fort Collins in 2013 and I got in with them right then. And I got involved with the Larimer YLD. I mean, I was a law clerk, so I didn't really need to network as much, but I knew I wanted to stay in Fort Collins. So I still needed to, you know, pound the pavement and meet folks. So it's a great way to network. But additionally, when I moved up to Fort Collins, uh, I didn't really know anybody up here. So it's also a good way to meet friends. Um, And then that involvement with uh, LCBA Young Lawyers um, helped me transition into a a job with a law firm up here. And then I eventually became the president of the Young Lawyers and got a little bit more involved with with the statewide uh, bar association. That helped me move into my current position where the a former CBA president, Dick Gast, uh, was a partner at my law firm. He retired a couple of years ago. But he's a, I mean, he's a former president. I think he was the, uh, God, he's like the third CBA president in his family. Uh, the guests are a long, wow. Line of, long line of, uh, bar association leaders. Yeah. I think, I think Dick was a fourth or fifth generation Colorado lawyer and, uh, yeah, his family's really dedicated to the bar <laughs> and he especially. And so I joined up at this firm during his year as president and, didn't see him a lot because he was always out on his presidential visits, but he, you know, his service to the bar really inspired me because it, it, first of all, I think uh, being a member of the bar is really important for a variety of reasons, but including maintaining the professional and collegial um, nature of the, of, of lawyers. And hopefully we all want to keep that bar high. Right. Uh, plus, it's a great way to, you know, meet people uh, outside your practice areas, outside of your geographic areas. And so with Dick's encouragement, I applied to be on the um, CBA Young Lawyers Executive Council in 2018, I think it was. Mm. Maybe 19. I can't remember. Um, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be selected and have been on the board since then. And I found it very rewarding because I get to work with a bunch of really inspiring people, yourself included. Um, I try who are, well, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody on our board has, it is true though. I see, I do know what you're saying that everyone there yeah. has like their own unique, uh, yeah. thing or whether it's a personality, you know, drive energy, uh, interest area, you know, everyone's got kind of their, 
their own thing. And then we all kind of come together um, to kind of execute those goals uh, in a collaborative, you know, way. And I think it can be, uh, you know, it's really cool to kind of see what we've uh, done. Um, speaking of things that we've done, what are some events or activities or initiatives or, you know, anything else? What are some things that you've yeah. done while on uh, the Wild D uh, Executive Committee? Well, as the greater Colorado guy, one of a few greater Colorado people, I've always been beating the drum about co-sponsoring events with local bars. So pre-pandemic, we did kind of, uh, I think we called them sister city events where we have a a program. We're going to get together. We're going to talk about, you know, it's legal professionalism month. Let's get together and be ethical. And, you know, we being ethical is important. <laughs> exactly. And we plan, uh, you know, coffee meetups throughout the state um, or, you know, simulcast CLEs. Um, we had a diversity CLE a couple of years ago that we streamed up to Fort Collins and down in Colorado Springs. Um, we're doing hikes around the state and uh, hopefully we're going to have some ski stuff this coming winter. So it's really just going back to Ian McCarger. Um, it's all about building connections between people, getting FaceTime with your fellow attorneys. Um, and I think that's really important. Why would you recommend uh, law students and young lawyers, you know, get involved if, if there's somebody either, you know, in the greater Colorado area or, you know, here in Metro Denver, uh, who's a law student or a young lawyer, you know, thinking about, hey, I want to kind of get involved in the bar association, whether that's the, um, you know, the CBA YLD or a, a local bar association, which absolutely is a is a great alternative or something to do at the same time. You know, it's not mutually exclusive. Um, why would you recommend they get involved? Involved in one of these organizations? I think it's actually a really self-interested move to get involved because when you get yourself involved with a bar association, you put yourself with other similar-minded attorneys who hopefully want to better their practice skills, want to maintain a high bar of you know professionalism and ethics in, in, in the practice. And it just opens you up to so many more resources, puts you in front of people that you wouldn't really get to meet uh, unless you were a real pound the pavement gung-ho person or, <laughs> or you stumbled across somebody. It's a lot easier to approach somebody at, a, at an event where you're all there for the same reason. Right. Uh, well, I think you make a really good point too, because look, the the super gung ho, you know, chat with everyone, meet everyone. Those people are going to be just fine regardless, you know, like whether they're in the bar association or not. Like, there are some people that are just getting after it, and you know, and that, and they're going to be okay. Um, but if you're an individual that you know maybe is not, you know, a social butterfly, for lack <laughs> of a better term. Um, it really is, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's nice to walk into a room and to recognize, you know, uh, at least a handful of people, you know, people right. that you've met before and you can certainly talk to new people and, and expand it. But when you walk into an event and you're like, you know what, there's three or four people that I've worked with on the bar association, or, you know, you go to an event maybe outside of Metro Denver and I see you or, or, or see uh, one of the other individuals from outside the Colorado or the great or, uh, outside the Metro area, you know, it's cool because then you have at least somebody you can kind of feel comfortable with. And I think we've all, 
you know, it probably experienced the the awkwardness of going <laughs> to an event and literally not knowing a single person. And then you're yep. just kind of like hanging out, you know, <laughs> being like, who am I going to talk to here? You know, and it can be a little bit awkward, you know? And like, if you just know at least one or two other people there and kind of get those conversations flowing and then maybe they introduce you to one other people, one or two other people, or, you know, someone sees you guys talking and comes over and says, Hey, can I join this conversation? Uh, it really is a great way of, of putting yourself out there. Um, and, and benefiting your own practice and your own professional experience while at the same time giving back, you know, while sure. working on CLEs, working on public service, working on diversity initiatives. Um, and, and really, you know, you get and you give. Uh, and, and I think it's great. I think it's a really uh, cool thing for young lawyers. And honestly, I think more law students should get involved. I think that if I, if I had to do it again, and I thought about what was really important in law school, obviously grades and, you know, different things. And the, and the problem with law school is there's just so many different things to choose from. But yeah. if I look back on what would have been actually beneficial to my career now, five, six, I guess six and a half years out and look back, I'm like, man, dude, some of those CLEs we were that the YLD puts on would have been more beneficial to my career than a lot of the things I was learning in the classrooms and the connections I would have made with those lawyers who were one, two, three, four years out of practice would have been more beneficial in many respects than like going to a talk with a lawyer who's, you know, 35 years out of law school. Right. Cause oh, like, I, I don't have anything to relate to that guy that much, you know, like I, you know, we don't like it, he, it's been a long time, but meeting a little guy who's three years out, who's like three years ahead of me, those are great mentors because they're, exactly. they, they know a lot more than you, but they haven't forgotten what it was like to be you, you know, if that makes sense. Oh, that was, that was very well said. I agree with you completely. Um, well, Dan, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast today. Uh, I think it's great to, to talk to people uh, outside of the Denver area and it's something that I'm going to endeavor to do um, more of. Thanks for your awesome insights on judicial performance commissions. If you're listening to this podcast, please fill out the reviews. That's going to be our takeaway from today. Uh, fill you. out the reviews, help out the commissions, let them know if your judges are good or not so good and uh, whether they need, you know, how they can get better. Cause that's the goal. When, when judges are better, everybody in that community wins. Um, yep. so thank you so much. Dan, I like to end each, uh, podcast episode the same way. Um, if there are individuals listening today, law students, young lawyers who are interested in getting involved in, uh, either greater Colorado issues, whether they live in greater Colorado or just want to help out, um, whether they want to get involved in their judicial performance commission, the YLD, anything that we've kind of talked about here today, uh, one, are you willing to talk to them? And two, uh, what's your email or what's the best way to kind of get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. I would love to talk to anybody about any of those things. My email address is dan, S-T-J-O-H-N-2 at gmail.com. And my, uh, my office number is 970-482-4846. And I'm happy to chat with anybody about practicing in Greater Colorado, Judicial Performance Commissions, 
all that fun stuff. Well, there you go, listeners. You know my views on mentorships. Uh, Dan would be a great one to uh, speak with and learn all of those. Uh, you can't see him, but he threw two hands up, so or two <laughs> thumbs up, so you know he's stoked about it. Give him a call. Give Shoot him an email. Uh, Dan, thanks again, man, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I hope you feel better and make a full uh, recovery. Uh, and, and until uh, I see you again, uh, stay healthy and well out there and have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks for doing this, Kevin. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Get legal with it.